0: This is a Vault Studios production.
1: October 11th, 2001. It was a Sunday. Sometime in the afternoon, Crystal Martinez-Eleary went over to visit her uncle, Alan Olvera, at his home in Sacramento County, California.
2: When we visit him, it was really fast. Um, and it, it, he, he might have been busy, like, doing something else, like, I don't know, but he came out, and he gave us some vegetables to give to his mom and dad, uh, my grandma and grandpa, and, and so, like I said, he had a garden in the back and took care of stuff, but he, that's how thoughtful he was. He was just always giving, and he was like, here, make sure they get it and take it to them, but we didn't really know that that would be at all the last time that we would see him.
1: Over 20 years later, Crystal vividly remembers those moments. It was the last time she would see her uncle alive. She was there with her mom, Alan's sister, who remembers something feeling
3: off when they left the home. I remember walking out when we went in the car and I just got a a feeling and I started crying and I told her, I don't know why i said it i just said even if something happened to him he could not defend himself i don't know why i said that to her and i just started crying that day but i never dreamed
0: you know anything would happen to him my name is shay mcallister and i'm madison wade we're both journalists and for years we've been covering unsolved cases on tv Talking to investigators and families of victims, all pushing for answers. Cases we haven't forgotten and still want to see solved. This is Beyond Bardstown, Unsolved.
2: Let Tend Dental make your dream smile a reality. We offer a variety of top-rated treatments, including Invisalign aligners. And for a limited time, Tend is offering $750 off orthodontic treatments. Offer valid through January 31st, so don't wait. Visit hellotend.com slash sale. That's hello t slash sale. And book your free consult today.
4: This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what?
0: A crime that impacted many in the Miwok tribe who live in that area. It was the killing of a man named Alan Olvera. And you actually met Alan's family at his gravesite. Let's start there. What was that experience like?
1: Yeah, Shay. So Alan Olvera's gravestone stands on the Native American side of the Hicksville Cemetery off of Highway 99. It's where his family comes to feel close to him and their other family members. It's a very remote part of Sacramento County, more towards Elk Grove, and that has a very historical reason why. The cemetery means so much to the Miwok tribe and Alan Olvera is buried there.
2: What's the feeling you get when you walk into this, this place? For me, um, I feel you know a little bit of sadness, but then I, I, I think of my family who has passed wouldn't want me to be sad. That they would want me to cherish the memories I had. They would always be my uncle was somebody who would always smile, um, and just laugh, and just be silly at times. And so when I when I do come here, I am at peace knowing that my other family is here. But at the same time, I can't help but miss them. And and just like anybody would, you miss your loved ones. You you want to see them. You wish you could had more time with them to kiss them, to hug them, to tell them you love them. And so. For me it's a mix of different feelings but i know that they're all here together and so that's what gives me a little bit of solace knowing
4: that i I think for me it's it's home it's where i was raised coming and as a young boy we're taught to somebody passes uh we're taught to hand dig our graves as young men and we're taught to arrange for the services so that way the the uh, women and the elders couldn't could take part of the ceremony and so our role was one of getting the work done and so when i come here i know that i had a part in in our culture to to make sure that they rest and so i'm i'm at peace with that and um i feel really like my family's here so um, it's a good thing to be be here where where they're at.
3: We bring the elders a lot of times. My mom's sisters and families over there, buried over there, a lot of her family in here. My mom and dad, we bring lawn chairs for them and sandwiches sometimes because I think it's peace and calmness. And um, like you said, it's, it's their home now. They're resting in peace. And um, they're still looking out for us though, in a way. You know, they're still around us and I know I know he's there in different
1: ways, like I said. It was a beautiful place to meet his family for the very first time, and I honestly was was honored. They invited me to such sacred ground. It's where many of their family members are buried, and they all had a hand in burying him. In the Native American culture, it's a tradition and a way to honor the dead by digging their own grave. That's what the family of Allen did. They buried him with their own hands and laid him to rest. But since this case is unsolved, his family has not rested.
4: And as a dancer, my whole life, I had long hair. And uh, when we bury somebody, we cut it and we burn it, or we bury it with them. And that's to tell other tribal members that we are mourning. And I haven't had the chance to regrow my hair back. Now I probably don't have any left to grow, but it's been 20 years that we can't, that whole gap is missing between what we can and cannot do culturally. and, and and it's been, it's been a, a hard burden to carry.
1: When I arrived, they burned sage. They blessed the space in the air around his gravestone. They sang a Native American song and also opened up to me about what happened to him. It's a horrific crime that simply doesn't make sense.
4: I kind of remember that day just like it was yesterday.
0: Before we talk about what happened to him, let's talk about Alan Olvera, What were you able to learn about him?
1: Absolutely. Alan Olvera took pride in his heritage. He was heavily involved in the Sacramento Native American Caucus. He worked and spent much of his free time giving back. He was often involved in Elk Grove Unified School District's Indian education program. He was always delivering salmon to American Indian elders on the day before Thanksgiving. It's something him and his nephew, Matthew Franklin, did every single year
4: one of the things is in our culture is we don't um we don't kind of look for recognition and uh he always got me up during the week of thanksgiving day before thanksgiving i was on vacation he picked me up 6 37 in the morning we'd drive down to nimbus fish hatchery and get a truck full of salmon then we would go to Elk Grove and give it to the kids. We'd go to Sacramento to give it to the Cox members' families, and we'd drive out to Wilton. And some people lived in houses with no electricity, and we hand-delivered fish every year. It took us sometimes all week with ice bags, uh, stunk like salmon for a week. But he was like, you need to do this, because this is the, so this is our people need to have that relationship with our salmon.
1: Olvera was also an activist in his younger ages. His nephew, Matthew Franklin, told me that his uncle participated in the American Indian takeover of Alcatraz. Uh,
4: He did a lot of things that he was very private about, like storming Alcatraz and taking over Alcatraz and staying there until it was granted Indian land. He took that experience and came back to Sacramento and uh, took over a building and started the first Indian health project.
1: And I talked to one of his friends and also a co-worker at the Sacramento County Department of Human Assistance. And she told me that Alan was a caring, nurturing person. He had a great sense of humor. He really cared about other people. He was not married. He did not have kids, but he was a father figure to so many people in his life and to so many kids. He really took a lot of children under his wing and and young adults too, trying to set them up for success in their own lives. And so he was not only a father figure to many, but a teacher to many.
2: For me, um, I remember him just always being loving and really caring, Um, always very happy, um, go lucky, good natured. Um, and he had this really calming um, to him where he was just really easygoing and um, fun to be around. We'd often make jokes about things and laugh at each other's jokes. And he was somebody I really looked up to as an uncle because he really um, encouraged education. And that's part of the reasons why for myself, I continued on um, later on in life to get my degrees um, because he, he was such an influence in that, um, being involved in education.
0: You mentioned Alan Olvera was Miwok. What is the Miwok tribe's relationship to this part of California?
1: So right now, there are about 3,500 people who identify as being part of the Miwok tribe in Northern California. The Miwok Indians, they're a tribe of Native Americans who live primarily in Northern California. And in fact, in Elk Grove, where I met them at that gravesite, that is where most of the Miwok families still reside. Um, in and around that neighborhood, that area, um, and that part of our county. And today, the voice of the Miwok people is alive and well along the Cosumnes River. Efforts are are taking place to have the the Wilton Rancheria, a beautiful area of Sacramento County, brought back to its status as a federally recognized Indian tribe. Um, This area, the Cosumnes River, really has a, a reason and purpose behind the Miwok tribe and I mentioned they delivered salmon. They would catch the salmon out of the Kasumnas River and then go deliver it to the elders in the Miwok tribe every single day before Thanksgiving.
4: You would always remind me that in our language, in Miwok language, Kasum means salmon. Umne is our people. So the Kasumne is our people that live by where the salmon run through the river.
0: Okay, Madison, take us through the events leading up to Alan's murder. When did this happen?
1: So it was October 11th, 2001. Alan's sister and his niece visited him on Sunday afternoon. This was very typical. They drove up to his house. It was down a cul-de-sac, and it was a quick visit. They were exchanging vegetables from the garden. They said hello, but they only entered the front part of Alan's home.
2: When we walked in, before we walked in, and I told the detective this, Mm -hmm. um, I thought I heard voices, Mm -hmm. and so I walked in and distinctly looked at the television to see if it was on, and there was no television on. And I didn't ask, is there somebody here with you? I didn't think to ask that, but... um, It could have been somebody in a different room or something because we just stayed in the entryway and then we left. Like we stayed a few minutes talking to him and then he walked us outside. They also saw a car parked outside his home that
1: they didn't recognize.
2: We did see a car there that we did tell the detectives about, but I don't know. We didn't see anybody in the home, but there could have been.
1: At the time, they didn't really think much of it. And they also told me that Alan seemed occupied but didn't think something dangerous would happen. We didn't
2: know like anything would happen like that. Like we just imagined, oh, we'll see him the next day or we'll see him in a couple days at the conference because that was coming up that Thursday.
1: Olvera's nephew, who I've briefly mentioned, Matthew Franklin, remembers when the fear sunk in for him.
4: We were at a, I was uh, elected official from my tribe at the time and we uh, volunteered to help at the California uh, Sacramento State Indian I think it was Indian uh, College Day, California California Native Native American uh, Conference.
1: He was at a Native American event. It was a dance, there were celebrations, food. It was something his uncle, Alan, was committed to going to. He was supposed to be there.
4: And um, we did the opening speech, we did the blessings, uh, we did the dancing, and when it came time to dance, um, he didn't show up, and we knew something was wrong. We danced probably about three o'clock, and right after my daughter was there, she was just a little one. Um, that was the last time I danced. Um, I haven't danced since. So Alan didn't show up at all. There was a
3: conference that day and I, I remember thirsty. going to it and we were, I was trying to call him and he didn't answer because he was always there and his friend was saying, where's Alan at? He didn't answer his phone.
1: Worried sick, not hearing from him for four to five days, him not showing up for the event, Alan's family decided to go over to his home. It was his mom and dad who decided to check on him. He wasn't answering his phone. The front door was locked and no one answered. So his father went to the back of the home. The sliding door was unlocked. They walked into the living room and they found Alan sitting on his recliner murdered. Someone beat him to death with
5: an object. It it was pretty violent, Um, you know, unfortunately, that's the nature of this work, and um, he he had been bludgeoned to death, uh, his head and face, um, with a really hard object, and so um, there was a lot of blood, um, and again, just horrific for the family to have to find him that way and in that condition. The detective I spoke with told me this was a very horrific crime scene,
1: and Shay, it's so horrible. His parents found him like that. I can't even imagine walking in to just seeing your own son in the condition he was in and then trying to piece together what happened in the last four to five days. And his parents are no longer alive. So as the years have progressed in this case, what happened to Alan never left their minds and they never got justice before they passed away.
2: And to not know what happened to him, um, who did this, and 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 to think that they're still out on the street, they're still in society, um, and not being caught for this horrible crime that was committed, and for for it to be done to such a loving person, um, he did not deserve that. Um nobody deserves that.
0: So, Madison, was there any sign of what could have happened before he was killed? Was this a burglary, possibly a robbery? Was there any evidence left behind that led detectives to put together some sort of story?
1: Yeah, so items were stolen from his home. Come to find out, these items were Native American artifacts, very personal items to Alan Olvera, some electronics and some other personal items. Now, since then, they've been going to pawn shops and and trying to figure out if anyone turned in these items, and nothing's been turned in, nothing has shown up that used to belong to Alan
5: Olvera. There were things taken from the house, um, but it it appeared that there was some socializing uh, in in the residence, um, obviously prior to Alan being killed. Um, But yes, there were items, electronic items, um, some other artifacts. Um, I think maybe even some of the uh, American Indian artifacts that he had, uh, I think a several of those were taken. So that voice is Mickey Lynx. She's the detective of the Sacramento County
1: Sheriff's Office in their cold case unit. Detective Lynx told me that they believe
5: whoever killed Alan knew him. So it, it's our opinion that having investigated this case for many, many years, that I feel that Alan knew the person that killed him. Um, Alan was pretty safety conscious about his residence, and um, doors were locked. And I just, um, and it was a weekend, he was home. I just, uh, we just feel like, I think it was somebody he knew or met and, and had invited them into the home. And there was evidence to suggest he was having some
1: sort of social gathering. A party, maybe, and things turned ugly? Or maybe the person who did this waited until everyone was gone.
5: I don't believe that it was just a burglary gone bad. Um, I believe that he he knew the person. How well, I don't know, but um, we'd be really interested in finding
1: out for sure. This is interesting, Shay. So his niece remembers seeing a strange car parked outside his home when they went over that Sunday afternoon. She also thought she heard voices. Was someone inside the house when they stopped by? Was the person who murdered Alan Olvera already there?
0: This is what haunts her to this day. So she thinks it's possible that when the family stopped by the house, the killer was already in the house at that same time? It is possible. She remembers walking in. And again, they they briefly
1: walked into the home. It was a quick hello and goodbye. She remembers he seemed occupied, preoccupied with something. and she remembers hearing voices and she looked at the TV, but nothing was on the TV. So it didn't really make sense to her, but she never asked. And now she's wondering, is was someone there? Was someone in a bedroom? was someone outside in the backyard? Um, it's a very creepy part to this case and something that you know, she really reiterated
5: with me, and she wishes she asked.
1: Do you all believe he was murdered on
5: Sunday, then, or? I do believe that, yes. Just just based on some of the science and yeah. the things from the autopsy, yes, we do. You know, um, Alan lived on a, a small court, and so everybody that lived on the court was was interviewed. Um, and it's it, it's hard because Alan was last seen by his family on Sunday, but not found till Thursday evening. So when you interview. Neighbors, um, they're used to certain things, so when they say, yeah, I saw Alan, you know, driving on Tuesday, um, we're pretty certain he wasn't. So, uh, you know, it's, it's hard sometimes for your witnesses and neighbors, neighbors to, to be able to distinguish between what they always see and then maybe what really happened that week. Um, so that, that's that been uh, a difficult thing for us to overcome during the investigation, too, is uh, so many people on the court saw him, neighbors who knew him, uh, saw him at different times uh, when we believed that he was already deceased. And when it comes to what was used
1: to kill Alan Olvera, I asked very specifically, well, was it a light or was it a bottle or, you know, what was it? And, um, I was just told
5: it was a household item, something that you would find in your home. The weapon that was used was left out at the scene. Um, I won't go into details about it, but it was an object that's commonly found in homes. Um, so it wasn't, um, you know, a knife or a gun or anything. So, um, the person that killed him we feel grab something from the house and use that um, to hit him over the head and kill him. So that also goes to show that
1: this was possibly something that just happened in spite that happened quickly if If someone came over to to kill him and didn't have their own weapon that they brought, then then what happened that led up to to someone taking something that you would have in your home and, and beating Alan death. And and that's what happened. The detectives wouldn't tell me what was used specifically because it's part of the investigation. And if they do find whoever did this, it would be key in solving this case. So I respected them keeping that close to their chest. But it is definitely an interesting part of the story because items were taken from the home and then whoever did this
5: just grabbed something
1: and, and used that item to then kill Alan.
5: As I said, it seemed like there was a social atmosphere in the house. Um, so, I don't know if an argument ensued, or Alan asked somebody to leave, or what, we don't know. Um, mm-hmm. But, yeah, clearly, somebody got very angry. The suspect got very angry, and, and um, you know, <laughs> Alan wasn't a big guy, he wasn't a violent guy. Um, just seems so, I mean, it just seems hard to believe that somebody would have to do that to him if, if they were mad um, or if he even said anything to them that made them mad or whatever it was. I mean, why not just leave, right? Um, so, you know, after you kill somebody and you stick around to steal things from that house, um, you're dealing with an evil person, Right, that can do that while somebody you just killed is laying there in their in their home.
0: Madison, when you talk about the crime scene being really graphic and gruesome, I know it's horrible, but the first thing that comes to my mind is the possibility of some sort of DNA evidence. Did detectives tell you anything about that? Were they able to collect anything?
1: Right. They absolutely did. I mean, they, they had a big crime scene to to look at. This was his home, and so every single room, every single square inch could have had some evidence. So yes, they, they took and cataloged
5: many items. They, they figured out what was stolen. We do have some evidence in the case. Uh, we do have some fingerprints. We do have DNA evidence. Um, it's figuring out the relevance of it and uh, proving whether or not that's our suspect. Um, and again Alan had friends and and family that um, have been to his house Um, you know we again we've got some leads on some of that that we're working on um, and I it would be just great to have one more thing to push us in a direction. So I do know things were cataloged, I do
1: know things were submitted to the lab, but I don't know the findings of that or
0: what it led to. What about the car that you mentioned was parked in front of the house? Did the family remember anything about it? And detectives, did they ever follow up on that lead?
1: I asked about the car and I was told that they couldn't really discuss with me the details and the significance of that car. I do remember seeing crime scene pictures um, that had the car taped off, but nothing about it ended up being a lead. You know, here we are more than 20 years later, and you would think a license plate or something along those lines would would lead to somebody, but clearly it hasn't made much of a difference in this case.
0: And then what about if it was some sort of party or social gathering um, that happened the night he was killed or one of those nights? was there any more witnesses? Was anyone that could have been at his house questioned in this case? Did did detectives talk to you about that?
1: Yeah, so of course they went through everyone who knew him personally. His family members were looked at initially. um, But, you know, no one, no name came forward as uh, a possible
5: suspect except his roommate at the time. He had a roommate uh, that had recently moved out um, I think the focus initially was on that sus- that he might be a suspect. So they looked at his roommate because, of course, that
1: person had access to the home, had access to Alan Olvera. But they later ruled him out in 2012. And now they've been working this case ever since to find justice for his
3: family. So um, um, I just, I can't understand why at this time somebody has to know something or heard something. I just think... It's time for the family to have some peace, have got a little bit of closure.
5: And so this happened October of 2001, and so it's it's just hard to believe that this October will be 20 years. It just doesn't seem like it's been that long, and I'm. I know how difficult this is for the family to not have any closure, uh, to not know who did this um, to Alan.
1: When I sat down with Detective Mickey Links, the head of the cold case unit with the Sacramento County Sheriff's Office, it was just ahead of the 20th anniversary of Alan Olvera's killing. She made it clear to me, investigators have never
5: stopped working his case. And in 2012, Um, we developed some new information um, that led us kind of in in a different path than from the original suspect that they looked at. And so we've been working that... And when I
1: spoke to Alan Olvera's family members, they told me they are hopeful answers could come soon. I
4: made a promise to my grandparents that before they passed that we'd find somebody. And to me, it's kind of... It's hard because sometimes you don't get the attention that it needed. And... um, Throughout the years, I was more involved with the Sheriff's Department and the uh, District Attorney's Office and pushing it, pushing it. I would call the media, I would call the papers, I would get billboards, raise money. I think we raised up to $75,000. Um, I did uh, interviews for people who called in for the Sheriff's Department. Um, and so really to kind of make sure this stayed at the forefront. and. Um, I think with our family is being very small now. Um, there's, there's, you know, the immediate family is, is really little now, and so uh, we want to see somebody caught.
2: I always wanted justice for my grandparents um, because they lost their son in, in such a horrible way, and and I was hoping it would have happened in their lifetime. But now that we're here today, still standing, I know spiritually they're here watching over. And I'm really hopeful and I I just keep praying that someone could be brought forward and brought to justice and be held accountable for their actions that they committed. For somebody who did not deserve this at all, who was such a big influence in the Native community and a role model for myself and many others. And so I just hope that somebody can be brought forth and held responsible.
0: So Madison, we've talked about all of the evidence in this case. You've told me this is a case that has the potential to be solved. Why is that?
1: So recently, Shay, I was with the family at a news conference they held. And they told me specifically that this case lies with the DA's office. So that means the Sacramento County Sheriff's Office and the cold case detective, Mickey Links, has been working this case so diligently that they believe they have a case, that they know who did this. So they've submitted their findings, their their case files to the DA's office. And and now the Sacramento County District Attorney's Office can make a decision. They can make a decision on whether to move forward with charges. Um, But the the Sheriff's Office believes that they know who did this to Alan Olvera. And and they told me no family deserves this more than him. Of course, they have so many cases uh, that they're working on and each one is different. But the Alan Olvera case because of his involvement and his dedication to his community, this family has not been able to, to rest and his parents are no longer alive. Um, so they're really hopeful that the DA's office will, will file charges and this case could potentially
5: get solved. 20 years uh, goes by pretty quick. I mean, for me, it's just hard to believe that it's been that long, but I know for the family, it's not quick, you know, and it's very long and um and it's tough to not see um it come to an end that something is final um but i also think i'm hoping that they feel good that they know we haven't forgot either you know this case isn't just sitting on a shelf where nobody's looked at it that nobody's done work on it as you know dna and and our science and forensics continue to improve every year every five years you know we are applying those things to our old cases and i think that's why you're seeing so many of them solved and i think the hardest thing is for a family to see as i know they're happy for another family to see their case got solved and and it's it's somebody's being held accountable for taking their loved one Um, when you still have a case that hasn't been solved, it it just makes it a little harder. Yeah. So, um, but I, I I hope that, and and I hope as you see us solving these cases that families will say, okay, I I don't want to give up, right? I, there's hope.
0: Were you able to touch base with the DA's office? How long could that take? You know, what 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 could that process look like?
1: So. I have not been able to talk to the DA who has been assigned to this case. I've tried, but at the same time, because it's it's under investigation, they're not willing to share with me what their decision's going to be until a decision is made. But it, it does take time because the biggest risk is going forward with a case like this and having it not work. Having a hung jury or having um, you know, some issues with the case that that the person they believe did this doesn't get held responsible or it's possibly the wrong person. There's just a lot of risk that comes with a cold case, of course, and, and solving it. So it's hard to know what the DA's office is going to decide, but I do know that the case lies with them. So we could have a decision soon. We It also could take some time.
0: And I know you keep in touch with this family, What did they do to keep his memory alive, to keep fighting for justice in his case? So every single
1: year around the time he was murdered in October, they hold a candlelight vigil and a news conference to bring awareness to his case. I was just at this event in October, and it was emotional for so many of his family members, and I could feel their frustration. They're not frustrated with the detectives. They're not frustrated with... The the hard work that's been poured into this case. But for them, 20 years is a long time. It's a lifetime. And Alan was 51 years old. He had so much life ahead of him. His parents, you know, really wanted to see justice served, and they're no longer alive. So the worry is that his family may never see justice. And and then it goes unsolved and it's forgotten about.
2: And I, I say that um, even our generations, like my little girls over there, they not they didn't get a chance to meet him or know him and just have that male influence there to help them positively in their lives. And, and that's something that we'll never get back. Um, so it's just, it was such a loss at the time. Um, we didn't expect that, it was so unexpected. Anything like this, we never dreamt that that would have happened. And so that's why 20 years later, we hope that somebody can be brought forth, somebody can be held accountable, and that we could have that peace or justice to know that they're not walking around as if they didn't commit this type of crime.
1: And so every year around October, they hold a news conference. They they did this one most recently at the State Indian Museum in Sacramento in city limits. And uh, I was there to listen to what they had to say. and to make sure their case, you know, continues to be talked about and is in the headlines. And um, they are very frustrated that it's taken this long.
4: To me, it's more than just a case. It's, it's they took years off my grandparents' life. And um, somebody needs to be responsible and um, have justice for that. And so it's about that person taking, being accountable for the life they took on this earth.
0: And since this crime has happened, that was 20 years ago, we know his family has created a scholarship fund in his name, trying to help other tribal members. What can you tell us about that?
1: So Al Alvera took pride in his heritage. Like I said, he was heavily involved in the Sacramento Native American Caucus. He worked and he spent much of his time, his free time, giving back.
2: It's because of his involvement in education um, why I personally, um, later on in life, decided to go to school as well, because he always... He didn't talk about it so much but he, there would be times where he would share he was a student at um, Santa Cruz and so he would share that um, information and then I know when I decided later on and went from high school to college at Sac State he was proud of that and he was proud of Matt when Matt went to the college as well and um, he knew we both were dancers and involved in the community and he would always tell us how proud he was of us being a traditional Miwok dancer but also going to school getting our education and that it was important for us to give back to our community.
1: And and shortly after he was killed, a scholarship in his name was established to then help young members of the Native American community continue their education and outreach.
2: And so those funds have helped many people in the Native community. Um, And every year they recognize the students and have a gathering. Um, And when my grandmother was here, she would be brought along as well as my mom and my brother and they would attend the gatherings and the students would receive their award and be honored that scholarship donation.
0: So if anyone out there is listening to this and they think they might know something that helps investigators, where should that information be directed? So just because this case lies at the DA's office doesn't mean
1: that they're not still wanting tips and leads. And in fact, they invite that because
5: one tip or one lead could actually solidify this case even more. If anybody has any information about what happened or knew him or knew people that knew him, um, if, if we haven't talked to them or if we have and they have something that they didn't tell us before. You know, we want it. We want to talk to them. So the
1: Sacramento County Sheriff's office, their cold case unit, they are always accepting phone calls and emails. You can find their information in our notes right here on the podcast and and that way it can help detectives, you know, even more solidify their case and and make sure that Alan Overa gets justice. And um, they're looking for any tips, even if you may have come across a Native American artifact or some sort of item that doesn't seem that may seem that it belongs to someone else, that alone could help. They've been looking at pawn shops for years and nothing has come up. But again, items were stolen, and those items exist somewhere in this world. So it's quite possible that it's it's out there in the Sacramento area in California or maybe in a different state. And, and that alone could help solve this case.
2: And so, for me, I just I have so many questions that haven't been answered, and and I just would finally like to know the answers to that. What actually occurred to him? and who did this? Was it somebody close to him? Was it a friend? Was it somebody maybe he didn't even know? You know, that acquaintance or, uh, you know, I, I just ask all these questions and wonder after, time and time again, I see on the news, I see different cases being solved and I'm just asking, when will his case be solved?
3: I know if when it happens and something, if someone is caught for this, it's gonna, we'll have to go through this again, but it's time and, um, I'm kind of glad my mom and dad aren't here if this happens because it would be too painful for them because I was there with her all the time and mom and dad and um but I think I hope to see closure before I pass on and I hope our family can bring just have good memories after that of him.
1: Beyond Bardstown Unsolved is a production of Vault Studios in partnership with King 5 in Seattle, WHAS 11 in Louisville, and ABC 10 in Sacramento. Make sure you don't miss any future episodes by following or subscribing to the show wherever you're listening right now. And to talk about these cases with other listeners, be sure to join our Facebook group, Unsolved Insiders. Beyond Bardstown Unsolved is hosted by me, Madison Wade, and WHAS 11 anchor and investigative journalist, Shay McAllister. Our producer is Reid Redmond. Our executive producers are Will Johnson and Brian Weiss. Thanks also to investigative journalist, Andrea Ash. Audio mixing is done by Richard Humphreys at Tacoma Media in Silver Spring, Maryland.